Pacifica Radio in San Francisco. This is Flashpoints. I'm Dennis Bernstein. Today on the show, the legendary whistleblower Dan Ellsberg, whose release of the Pentagon Papers put the lie to the entire U.S. justification of the Vietnam War, will join us. Dan will be our special guest for the hour as we look at the brutal imprisonment and mistreatment of Julian Assange. All this coming up straight ahead on Flashpoints. Stay tuned. And you're listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. We broadcast every weekday from the San Francisco Bay Area over the Pacifica Radio Network, KPFA in the Bay Area. Well, there are many things I could say about our Flashpoints guest today. In 1967, while at the Rand Institute, Daniel Ellsberg worked on the top-secret McNamara study, U.S. decision-making in Vietnam, which later came to be known as the Pentagon Papers. In 1969, he photocopied the 7,000-page study and gave it to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. In 1971, he gave it to the New York Times, the Washington Post, and 17 other newspapers. Ellsberg's subsequent trial on 12 felony counts posing a possible sentence of some 115 years was dismissed in 1973 on the grounds of governmental misconduct against him, leading to the convictions of several White House aides and figuring in the impeachment proceedings against President Richard Nixon. We are glad to have Dan Ellsberg with us. He is going to join us. We're going to be, among other things, talking about the persecution of uh, Julian Assange. Uh, Dan Ellsberg, welcome to Flashpoints. Glad to be here again. Thank you, Dennis. Good to have you with us. Let's start here. Why do you think the former CIA director under Donald Trump thought that it might be necessary not only to kidnap, to maybe kill Julian Assange. Why did they find him so dangerous? You know, the I noticed on the uh, news, on Wiki, Google News, a couple headlines that I haven't seen yet about why did the CIA want to kill Assange. I'm interested in those stories. I haven't been able to read them yet. Actually, it's on a... Uh, a podcast, I'll have to listen to it in England, because that isn't self-evident uh, why at that, that point they would want to kill him, except that, um, yes, they wanted him to come into trial, they wanted to kidnap him and get him back here, or now they're still trying to extradite him under Biden and get him for trial. But on the other hand, a trial isn't actually perfect for them, because that will certainly bring up uh, two kinds of problems. The crimes that he revealed, uh, war crimes, uh, things that Chelsea Manning had given to him about Afghanistan and Iraq revealing enormous numbers of civilians killed that had not been reported, Base, a major program of torture uh, by our Iraqi allies, which continued into the Biden, into the, I'm sorry, Obama administration when Biden was vice president, and uh, definitely would have constituted uh, war crimes. So, uh, these are not things they want to discuss in opening the trial all that much, although they do want to make an example of Julian. I really think that uh, in one res- uh, I've always thought that to some extent the best thing for him is just to keep him there uh, in a prison uh, without having to go through a trial and reveal any of this stuff uh, or 
have him even in Sweden on that. But since they don't want to concede that uh, what he did was not criminal, um, as I would say was not under any constitutional reading of the Espionage Act, uh, they want to continue that and uh, have to at least go through the motions of trying to extradite him. But, of course, assassinating him would cut that short. Just keep him silent, keep him out of the way, certainly form a good example counter, uh, to people who might be tempted to follow in his footsteps uh, as to what to expect if you take on not only the world's richest and strongest imperial power, the United States, but really this was a challenge to secrecy in all governments in the world. And I doubt if uh, he has very many admirers within state uh, governments uh, practically anywhere in the world, although there are many countries where he's extremely popular. Germany, for example, being one for various reasons. But there, uh, and even their uh, Bundestag has tried to get him to come as a witness about the secrecy system. But governments that want to be tight in hand with their rich uncle here, Uncle Sam, uh, do not want to uh, antagonize. America, and that turns out to be Biden as well as Trump. So uh, there, he's uh, he's challenged all of them, and that puts you by way of uh, a lot of retribution. How would you? How do you consider Julian Assange? Do you see him as a publisher, important journalist? People call him lots of different things. Uh, and apparently he's been, although he's helped a great deal in publishing a number of incredible stories in various uh, news organizations, that he, he's been sort of betrayed, set aside, forgotten. How, how do you see him? Is, he, is his work important in terms of journalism? And what role does it play in the public uh, knowledge? Well, first take the position that the uh, government, that he's put himself in, that the government, our government has put him in, of being under charges as a publisher, as a journalist. Uh, he's the first, actually, to be indicted in this country in a way that is blatantly in contradiction to the First Amendment. Uh, Congress will pass no law abridging freedom of the press, freedom of speech, um, there could hardly be a more clear-cut uh, denial of the protection to the press that the First Amendment offers than to be uh, indicting and prosecuting Julian Assange. Uh, at the same time, he offers them uh, a good starting point, if you're going to start, uh, and this would be a start, of prosecuting people who are actually journalists, members of the press, because for a number of reasons... He's regarded at, uh, at best at arm's length by many mainstream media sources, including the ones that use his material to, uh, to great effect, like the New York Times. And it's, it's beyond arm's length. They really regard him with disdain, contempt. Uh, they published uh, right at the beginning a profile of him of how he smelled bad and looked like a bad woman. This is a man who just given them and partnered with them on the release of thousands of documents which they used and uh, to great effect but could hardly have been more uh, denigrating and <laughs> well i told him he should have expected that or if he'd asked me what to expect he was he was rather shocked by it 
that the Times of all places would uh, go after him that way. And uh, I said, well, that, that's what they do to sources, uh, as I found in my own my own experience with him right from the beginning. Uh, they not only don't see sources as part of the journalistic process, I actually think that a lot of them see their sources, real sources, people who are telling them things the government doesn't want told, uh, not, not authorities who are putting out self-serving things, which is mostly are come uh, authorities of various kinds who would never be in risk in the government for putting it out because they're serving their budgets, they're serving the president when they put this stuff out. That's what most leaks consist of. But actual whistleblowers who put out information that is embarrassing or criminal or uh, politically relevant to the public that the government really doesn't want out, oddly, the my experience has been the press does not generally regard them as partners, I almost think they regard them the way police regard their own informants, their snitches, as snitches, as criminals who are useful to them but not worthy of respect. And that may be, sound strange coming from me, but uh, th- that's, uh, that's my uh, take on it, not only from my own experience, but from that of a lot of other people, whistleblowers. We're speaking with Daniel oh, so you were, you were, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Dennis, you were... You were really asking now what the significance was there, and I meant to say, yes, having put him on trial, since he is their perfect person, not not fully espoused or supported by other members of the press, and uh, arguably uh, in some shadow area here, Bill Keller said he's not a journalist uh, in any way that I recognize. The kind that Bill Keller recognizes is the kind that holds back a story on massive surveillance of Americans in total violation of the Fourth Amendment and domestic laws, holds that back at the request of the White House uh, for a year after an election, through an election in which the president has said, we don't listen to anybody American without a warrant. A total lie. And the Times had that story before the election, didn't put it out. That was Bill Keller. That's the kind he regards as a journalist. I say he should have been impeached uh, for that as a journalist or some equivalent of that, fired. But uh, instead, when he finally did put it out in competition with his own uh, journalist, James Risen, was going to put it out, otherwise he got a Pulitzer Prize for it. Okay, Keller then is, is uh, at the times, he's no longer there, but uh, to, uh, willing then to uh, not to support in any way or show any respect for, admire at all, this particular journalist, Julian Assange, and others being against Julian for a somewhat better reason, I could say, and we could come back to that, are not. Uh, nevertheless, the indictment, which is probably, as they say, uh, going to get the least support of anybody you could find for a journalist for, uh, for the case, does put a bullseye on the back of any investigative journalist in America, and one could even say the world. Julian, after all, is not an American. Uh, he's Australian. He did not do this in America. They're still trying to get him back here to um, charge him with a extremely questionable, unconstitutional charge of violating uh, the Espionage Act, which, as I've said earlier, I think would not stand up constitutionally. But it threatens every journalist in the country who... Um, uh, might do something classified, put out something classified, 
which happens all the time, every day, really, uh, it, it threatens them with imprisonment and some prosecution for the first time in our history. So the press has, if they want to be something other than a source of handouts from the government, something other than a, a spokesperson for the government, um, has extreme interest in supporting and protecting the First Amendment, which protects them. And to do that, you have to support Julian Assange and uh, do everything you can to see uh, the faults, the, uh, the wrongness of the effort to indict him, the effort to extradite him, and the actual indictment of him. And the press actually did at one point, I think there was a day or two, when he was indicted openly. Uh, there were a lot of editorials on that, rightly so, and then dropped as if it had all been settled, it just went away. The press, you know, in short, has not perceived from my day till this, that's 50 years, has not perceived that this abuse of the Espionage Act is aimed directly at them, all of them, all of them who uh, want to print something other than a government handout or a, or a government-authorized leak. And they've just uh, laid back on this. I would say it's very derelict. And uh, not only in the part of Bill Keller, whom I've already criticized, but the press in general have, have not taken this on as a, uh, a protection, a case that involves the very basis of our democracy. We're speaking with uh, Pentagon's papers whistleblower Daniel Ellsberg. I'm thinking of uh, Judith Miller, and she's the, your perfect uh, government stenographer who uh, wrote the, the lies that yeah. got us into yeah. uh, the Iraq war. That's the kind of journalist, I guess, uh, they praise, except that one happened to get caught and went to jail. Uh, I, I want to ask you, Dan, we, we've just seen the U.S. Uh, end a 20-year occupation of Afghanistan with a a a bombing that really it's sort of I think of it as collateral murder too, um, where they they bought they they were outraged that there was an attack at the airport and so they just sent out a drone and instead of killing so-called terrorists they killed an entire family with a whole bunch of children a couple of young children um it 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 seemed that the kind of journalism that julian assange did was meant to try and stop that kind of if you will collateral murder well exactly so assange challenges the whole secrecy system in a way that's long overdue and this this area that you described for instance is a perfect example of that daniel hale has just gone to prison now uh, on her sentence for a plea deal for revealing that the drone program of which he was a part in which he was he worked for several years and then and then publicly has opposed for years one of his major points brought out in a series of articles in the intercept and uh, and in a book by uh, Jeremy Scale but many talks by Hale himself was that what happened in Kabul of carefully pursuing a particular target, following him for hours, assuring themselves not that there were no civilians around him, which turned out not to be true, but also, you know, that it was an important high-value terrorist. They had the wrong man. He not only was not a terrorist, he was working for us, for an NGO here, uh, 
that was uh, helping people there, actually the kind of person whose relatives are now under risk from the Taliban because they were not on the side of the Taliban. And that's who he killed. Well, that's what Hale showed unmistakably was that that was not an isolated incident, a mistake, even though it took hours. He was involved. I think I read at one point there were nine drones over that car at the point when it, you know, many different commands were following that and different agencies. Uh, tremendous uh, uh, discussion and uh, consideration of it resulting in murder, uh, second degree murder. Not intended uh, these people because these weren't the people they thought they were. That turns out to be standard. What Ale showed specifically was uh, a lot of statistics from the program from inside it, which he revealed, which showed that for every, uh, it, for one period, long period, for every named person that the uh, the drone attack was focused on, and in those days, they, it almost always was a particular person. Now, now it's much broader. For every person they actually killed with a drone, perhaps 17 others who had no connection with that were killed. People who, where at first they had the wrong person, as in this case, or the wrong house, or the missile went astray, or there were people next to him. This is all, all almost always the case. Other people uh, around there. 17 civilians for one suspect. Remember that the suspect has been subject to no due process, no conviction, even if he's an American citizen like Anwar al-Olaki. Who, who was killed, and two weeks later, his 16-year-old son killed. Again, for reasons, by the way, mm -hmm. never explained. In that case, mm -hmm. they said, oh, they thought that the son was with a high-level Taliban person. Mm -hmm. Well, he wasn't. Oh, well, oops, you know, mistake, nobody's perfect. The point being, what that Kabul incident should reveal with the, uh, the unique amount of uh, investigation that is in, involved in it, the press should be picking that up and saying, how common is that mistake? Mm. It clearly shows that there's every reason to believe that, quote, errors like that and uh, m massive collateral damage of people who are not involved in the conflict happens every day, every other day, all over. There's every reason to believe that the casualties from that, which have made us hated in Pakistan, for keeping an eye in the sky with a with a Hellfire missile attached to it uh, over them, surveilling them at all times, that that has resulted in a enormous killing of civilians, and b in hatred of us, which in a nuclear armed country like Pakistan is not healthy for us or the world. Well, now the policy is. Uh, I really like this phrase uh, over the horizon. Bombing. It's like it's like you watch a sunrise and a bombing at the same time. What do you think of that long-range bombing policy? Well, obviously, we're we're really telling the world, uh, confirming that it's up to the president to decide who in the world, and that is not a uh, a turn of phrase, who in the world is safe from the a presidential decision that that person or someone like him, somebody uh, seems to be that sort of person, should be killed by the U.S. We recognize no national sovereignty, no airspace, 
uh, in the summer. And um, uh, it, this over-the-counter, over-the-hill, I'm sorry, thing, horizon means you know, we never leave anywhere. The Harbor War is not over. Uh, we can continue a war in the air uh, indefinitely. That's what it's telling not only Afghanistan and Pakistan, uh, but uh, every other country. It's, uh, it, it, it is a new phase of imperial warfare with a capability. You know what? It, it occurred to me the other day, and I, I hated to recognize this. It means that there is a death squad centered in the White House. President Obama used to look at a list on Tuesdays of people for assassination. This is Obama, uh, which included uh, a number, scores of American citizens on that uh, on that list, and these were for death, and uh, without any accountability, any due process, any uh, indictment, even uh, he can just pick off. He feels the right. He has it. That's a death squad operation. And I said to myself for for decades now, since that concept uh, came to our attention in uh, places like Brazil and Chile and elsewhere, uh, Indonesia, I would could not accept under any circumstances that my country operate death squads, as in the Philippines, for example, where uh, Duterte uh, boasts of having gone around uh, in police cars shooting at people killing people but no my country has done some very bad things this is something i would do anything to prevent and what i had to recognize the other day is that's what we're reading about the drone operators are death squads and they, they are death squads. knowledge done that in this country they haven't done it in this country yet yet but there is no reason to think that uh, with the emergencies and the all gloves are off and uh, we've got to protect the American people by killing whoever we think uh, is in the way. There's no reason to think that that little imperial instrument won't come home. We're already putting drones in police uh, stations all over the country, watching things. How long will it be before some of those drones are armed? And it's a very uh, uh, context of uh, Assange which you haven't mentioned yet, but we've just learned, you know, of course, that the CIA had plans, uh, consideration of plans, which were regarded as legitimate, but uh, they looked at the pros and cons of assassinating him, kidnapping him, or poisoning him, as arose in my case. Well, the um, um, the idea that that would be uh, Hillary Clinton is reported to have said on, about Snowden. Now, why don't we just drone him? And then she later said, when that was questioned, well, that was half a joke. Other people there thought, didn't sound like a joke when she said it. Of course, it comes to the mind of a president now who day, weekly, let's not say daily, weekly on Tuesdays decides who to kill. And uh, that's an extremely dangerous situation for us at home and for the world. We're speaking with Daniel Ellsberg. He is also the author of a number of books, including The Doomsday Machine, Confessions of a Nuclear War Planner. Uh, you know, uh, could you speak a little bit to the to the nature of the killing of uh, the drone pilot? As you say, they're either the orders come from the White House or over the horizon. But the drone pilot doesn't 
see the result of his uh, murder or or her mass murder. Uh, is that a special kind of killing? Does that do a special damage to the psyche, do you think? Well, there's different layers in what Jeremy Kale in his book calls, and, and what they say inside is the kill chain, the long stream of decisions that are made uh, before somebody is targeted and, and fired at. And my guess is that the people who just sign the name off I write it out, check it off, get this guy, are not subject to either guilt, anxiety, or sleeplessness, anything else. It's too far away. They think they're doing what's in their right and so forth. The people who watch this process on the screen, as did Daniel Hale and others, many others, uh, which would be true in the, in the Kabul case, by the way, recent ones, uh, what are those people feeling? They watched this guy carefully as he put what they thought were explosives in the back of his car, which turned out to be uh, jugs of water, which was taken to his boss. Now, we can ask, uh, you know, what are, they, what are they thinking about? They saw this guy and 10 people, seven children, uh, blown to bloody bits in, uh, in a process of which they were part, and they watched that. Now, that's unusual in air in um, in uh, warfare, as Hale has pointed out. He, by the way, is the ancestor of uh, rather had as an ancestor Nathan Hale, the uh, the first American uh, tried for giving information to Americans. He was George Washington's spy. I have to spell this out now because I've learned that. Uh, whereas that was a, a, a everyday name known to all our school children when I was a kid. Uh, people don't know it now. But anyway, he was Washington's yes. spy. He was hanged. And I sometimes said I'm the second person, fortunately not hanged, but uh, tried for giving information to Americans, which is what Nathan Hale did. So Daniel Hale now uh, has said that whereas somebody on the ground who's getting shot at, uh, even if he can see who he's shooting back, and uh, uh, feels that he's under threat, or now she, in some cases, under threat, they're being fired at. Uh, you don't think too much about uh, whether it's right or wrong to fire back. I can testify to that from my own experience. So then on the other hand, so they don't feel too bad about it, unless it, I am so glad that I never saw close uh, that I had, in fact, kill somebody, uh, let's say somebody who looked like a 16-year-old or a 14-year-old, which is the kind of people we were actually fighting. I'm sure that would scar my life, but I, I didn't see that. But on the other hand, people who do it from 30,000 feet don't see, and that's where most of the deaths have been called, or lower, in the in the air, lower. These, they don't see who they're killing. So again, it, there's no real evidence that causes them a lot of guilt or anxiety or anything, but the people who see it, who do see atrocities up hand, uh, first hand, on the, on the ground, suffer from PTSD as a result. They, uh, there's a category they have now I hadn't seen before called moral injury, where they participated in things that they thought just totally violated their sense of, of uh, rightness and decency. Well, the people on these screens see that all the time, and a lot of them are suffering PTSD. And you, you could say, well, uh, you know, why do they stay in it? And uh, that's what they ask themselves later. That's what Daniel Hale expresses 
a great deal of guilt about that part of his life, not exposing it, but having been part of it, and rightly so. And I was part of uh, this moral catastrophe of Vietnam. And uh, But, you know, it wasn't a question of seeing people up close. And here you have this face-to-face uh, killing, except that the face is 6,000 miles away, amazingly enough, and, and yet uh, will haunt. The people who did this in Kabul are almost surely not monsters. They are not volunteer mafia hitmen. Um, and who knows what they feel, but uh, uh, they are ordinary Americans who are in it for their college uh, degree in many cases, and uh, as Hale was, among other things. And when they see up close, it only orders of the president coming down, they have killed commonly more civilians, un- unfoc- untargeted civilians, than anybody else. Uh, that they do feel guilt for. But the wrong people, of course, end up being on trial. Daniel Hale, for example, or uh, uh, reality winner, Assange Snowden, uh, Chelsea Manning. (laughs) One person goes to jail for the totally illegal, criminal, vicious torture program under uh, Bush, George W. Bush, and Obama. And one person, and that is John Kiriakou, who goes to jail for exposing the name of a torturer. Wow. Well, just final question here, just as a way of as a way of summing up. I don't know where that call is coming from, but as a way of summing uh, up, it's, Daniel, it's mine right oh. up. I'm trying to get it off. Yeah. It's okay, um, not a problem. <laughs> Just as a as as a way to sort of conclude, what what's at stake if they go ahead, uh, extradite um, uh, Julian Assange, prosecute him, or is it? Would you say that's a, a major step forward in the end of free speech and free reporting journalism? Well, you know, it's not from one day to the next that we will become a police state. Uh, that will happen with another big 9-11, if there is. Or if we go to war in some way, have a state of war. We have the infrastructure for an East German-type police state from one day to the next. Uh, Snowden has called it turnkey tyranny. Just turn a key, in effect. And this surveillance goes puts hundreds of thousands of people in detention camps. The list for those exists. And the camps exist. And the surveillance now, we know where those people on the list are practically any time of the day when they're carrying an iPhone or another phone around with them. So we have the potential for a police state with a great provocation. Of course, we've just seen uh, a president with clear instincts to overthrow the Constitution, a domestic enemy of the Constitution, the kind that I swore an oath, like everybody else in the government, to defend against and protect against. But uh, so our democracy is in an endangered and fragile state. But one aspect of it, this secrecy aspect that's that's raised, it is time now for the press at last, I say they're derelict for not doing earlier, to recognize that the actually existing secrecy system, the way it actually operates, is mainly to keep secrets from the American people to prevent accountability or resistance 
two extremely uh, reckless or criminal or uh, extremely ill-judged policies, interventions, various kinds, like Iraq or Vietnam or other aspects of our, our Far East policy. That secrecy system protects, keeps these wars going uh, indefinitely. We've just seen, uh, I, I, I think without leaks on Richard Nixon that brought him down, we could still be bombing uh, Vietnam. That would be 50 years later. <laughs> but, uh, but Afghanistan, we've just seen 20 years. It could have gone on. So the time is to, is to really take seriously the First Amendment and recognize that what these presidents have been doing in the way of uh, prosecuting whistleblowers endangers our democracy. And very, it's one of the things that endangers our democracy. And notice... Biden was vice president in an administration that chose not to indict Julian Assange. People say, well, they would have to indict the New York Times as well. The real, not really. They, they can indict who they choose. But the point being that uh, they would be, uh, they are indicting uh, Julian Assange for doing the same kind of thing the New York Times does at its best. So, uh, it's time for the president to get together to realize that this endangers them all and to recognize that the secrecy system needs to be investigated. Uh, oh, I started to say, Biden was vice president with Obama where they chose not to prosecute him because it was so blatant a violation of the First Amendment. But Biden, as president, is now extraditing him, following in the footsteps of Trump, who, by the way, uh, appealed a judge's decision in Britain not to extradite him. Trump appealed that on his last day in office. Little parting shot. Nothing could have been easier for Biden to come in and say that's one of the things. After all, he spent his first day, I believe, canceling a lot of Trump executive orders. Did he not? Uh, that's what he was elected for. And he could have come in and put that among them and said, uh, okay, uh, we, we dropped the appeal. We shouldn't be appealing. You shouldn't be indicted and drop the charges. He didn't do that. So I think we have to accept that if if Biden's appeal is successful and uh, and uh, Assange is brought back here and tried, that will not be the last. And if we won't have to wait for a Republican either or for a Trump. Even under Biden, it will not be the last. And yes, the New York Times itself uh, will find that it has to uh, defend and maybe a little late because the precedent will have been set. All right. I want to thank you very much. We've been speaking with uh, Pentagon's Papers whistleblower Daniel Ellsberg. Uh, he's a hero of mine. He's also written a bunch of books The Doomsday Machine, Confessions of a Nuclear War Planner, Secrets, uh, Memoir of Vietnam, and Pentagon Papers, and other books. Dan, thanks for taking the time out and being with us on Flashpoints. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Flashpoints is a great program, Dennis. I'm glad to be part of it. Thanks. And you're doing the work. You're doing the work that the mainland press has been derelict in not doing. So uh, good. Keep at it. I'm gonna. We're gonna quote you on that. Thanks, Dan. Stay safe. 
And you are listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. We're going to take a short break, and some of you are going to hear uh, a documentary about Ed- Edward Snowden, uh, Citizen Four, uh, and some of you are going to stay with us here. We'll be back. As of fiscal year 2011, they could monitor one billion telephone or internet sessions simultaneously per one of these devices. Uh, and they could collect at the rate of about 125 gigabytes a second, uh, which is a terabit. That's just second. each one of these devices. That's for each one of these, yeah. Um, How many tumult missions would that be then? Uh, per this, back then, there were 20 sites. There's 10 at DOD installations. But these are all outdated. We've expanded pretty rapidly. Uh, but still 20 sites, that's at least 20 billion. This all around. needs to get out, you know what I mean? It's like. It just in terms of understanding yeah, the yeah. capabilities, like it, it's so okay. It's not science fiction. This stuff is happening right no, now. No, that's what I mean. Yeah. It's like the, the magnitude of it, and and like this is a pretty inaccessible technical document. <laughs> but even this, like, is really chilling. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah, I mean, we should have we should be having debates about whether we want government to. Do, I mean, this is massive and extraordinary it's it's amazing even though you know it you know even though you know that to see it like the physical blueprints of it Mm -hmm. and sort of the technical expressions of it really hits home in like a a super visceral way that is so needed this is cnn breaking news an explosive new report is reigniting uh, the concerns that your privacy is being violated to protect America's security. It reveals a court order giving the National Security Agency a blanket access to millions of Verizon customers' records on a daily basis. Earlier, I had the chance to conduct the first TV interview with the reporter who broke this story wide open, Glenn Greenwald of The Guardian. Congratulations on the scoop. Explain for our viewers why this is important. It's important because people have understood that the law that this was done under, which is the Patriot Act, enacted in the wake of 9-11, was a law that allowed the government very broad powers to get records about people with a lower level of suspicion than probable cause, the traditional standard. So it's always been assumed that under the Patriot Act, if the government had even any suspicion that you were involved in a crime or terrorism, they could get a lot of information about you. What this court order does that makes it so striking is that it's not directed at any individuals who they believe or have suspicion of committing crimes or part of a terrorist organization. It's collecting the phone records of every single customer of Verizon business and finding out every single call that they've made internationally and locally. So it's indiscriminate and it's sweeping. It's a government program designed to collect information about all Americans, not just people where they believe there's reason to think they've done anything wrong. Yeah, it's it's a tough situation, you know, hearing that the person that you love, that you've spent the, the decade with, may not be coming back. What did they ask her? Um... When was the last time she saw me? Where am I? Um, what am I doing? You know, what does she know about my illness? Things like that. Uh, so yeah, they're um, they're pretty solidly aware. Cause uh, <laughs> I'm clearly not at home ill.
Hello? Hello. Hello. Let me disconnect from the internet. So, there was some news? Yes, there was indeed some news. I have config uh, today, I think, maybe just a few hours ago. What, what, what's, what kind of people is it? Uh, an HR lady, I'm assuming from NSA, as opposed to uh, as opposed to Booz Allen, uh, because she's accompanied by a police officer, which means NSA police, uh, and they're planning to break into my house, which regular police don't do. Um, Does she live there? Yeah, she lives there. So I told her to cooperate fully. Um, I, I can't find my phone. Just one second. You know, worry about herself. You know what I'm going to do? I'll just uh, take out the stuff I want to use. Okay. Okay, well, look, I mean, this is not a surprise at all. Not, yeah, I know, I, I plan for it, but it's just, you know, when it's impacting them and they're talking to you, it's a, a little bit different. Absolutely. But it's possible that they just notice that you're missing. I guess it's it, not really it, it, a possibility. It is, but, yeah, they're, I mean... Um, get rid of this. So I, I obviously was focused on other things than appearance this morning, so... <laughs> How, was, how does she react? Was she relatively calm about she's, it? Or? She's relatively calm. Does she know anything about what you're doing she in has, life? She has no idea. Um, and that's, I mean, I, I feel badly about that, but that's the only way I could think of where, like, she did you can't just be in trouble. Did you just basically do a, I have to go somewhere for reasons that I can't tell you about kind of thing? I or? just disappeared when she was on vacation. Um, and I, I left a note saying, hey, I'm going to be gone for a while for work. Which isn't unusual for me in my business, right. you know, so. Okay, so let, let me ask you a couple of things just quickly. Are they going to be able to go into your stuff and figure out what you took? Um, in, in some kind of, some sort of, like, peripheral senses, but not, not necessarily. Not with great specificity. Yes, uh, because I cast such a wide net. If they do that, the only thing they're going to do is they're going to have a heart attack because they're going to go, he had access to everything. Yeah. And they're not going to know what specifically has been done. Now, I think they're going to start to actually feel a little better, although they're not going to be uh, wild about this in any case, when they see that the stories are kind of cleaving to a trend. You know, it's not like here's the list of everybody who works everywhere. Right. I also think, you know, they're going to be paranoid in the extreme and assuming all kinds of worst-case scenarios, uh, which is going to, you know, I think make them react in ways that probably aren't like going to be particularly rational on their part. But at the same time, there's, I do think they're limited for the moment. I, I agree. And I mean, I had kind of time to set a stage where we all enjoy at least a minimum level of protection. You know, no matter who we are who's involved in this, you know, you're either a journalist right. or you're either out of jurisdiction. So we have some time to play this before they can really get nasty. I think it's over, you know, the weeks when they have times to get lawyers really sort of go, this is a special situation. How can we interpret this to our advantage? Like, we, we see them do this all the time, you know, whether it's, it's drones or wiretapping right. or whatever. They'll go, well, according to this law from the 1840s, you yeah, know, we yeah, can apply X, Y, or Z authority. Mm -hmm. But that, that takes time, and that takes agreement. Yeah. And, that and takes also, order. you know, I mean, I think the more public we are out there, too, like, as journalists, and the more protection that's going to give as well. Have you started to give thought to when you're ready to come forward? I'm, I'm ready whenever, um, honestly, I, I think there's sort of an a, a agreement that it's not going to bias the reporting process. That's my primary concern at this point. I don't want to get myself into the issue before it's going to happen anyway and, and where it takes away from the stories that are getting out.
This is CNN Breaking News. Another explosive article has just appeared this time in the Washington Post. Uh, it's breaking news that it uh, reveals another broad and secret U.S. government surveillance program. The Washington Post uh, and The Guardian in London reporting that the NSA and the FBI are tapping directly into the uh, central servers of nine leading Internet companies, including Microsoft, Yahoo, Google, Facebook, AOL, Skype, YouTube, and Apple. The Post says they're extracting audio, video, photographs, emails, documents, and connection logs that enable analysts to track a person's movements and contacts over time. Uh, let's discuss this latest revelation. They're coming out fast. Uh, Bill Binney, the former official of the NSA, who uh, quit back in 2001. You were angry over what was going on. You'd be known as a whistleblower right now. Bill, what do you think about this Washington Post story? Well, I assume it's just a continuation of what they've been doing all along. So Russia. you're not surprised. Okay. Do you have any idea who's <laughs> leaking this information? I don't know who leaked this. I have no doubt that the administration will launch an investigation not into who approved these programs, but into who leaked the information. I'm not shocked that the companies are denying it. I, I don't assume that... Do you believe it? There may be some technical basis on which they can say that we are not actively collaborating or they don't have what we consider in our own definition to be direct access to our servers. But what I do know is that I've talked to more than one person who has sat at a desk um, at a web portal and typed out commands and reached into those servers from a distance. So whatever they want to call that, that's what's happening. Well, what, I, what I would call it is the single biggest infringement on American civil liberties probably of all time, isn't it? It's interesting, Ari, you have the New York Times now today saying that the administration has lost all credibility. Yeah, the New York Times slammed President Obama for this, and frankly, I was used to that. The New York Times used to slam George Bush for protecting the country and for the steps he took. And I don't want us to drop our guard. I don't want us to be struck again. As we saw in Boston, Anderson, people are willing to sacrifice their civil liberties. People sheltered inside. Which was How can you believe in freedom, do you think? I mean, try and play devil's advocate for me. When you have secret courts, secret operations like prison, secret investigations which go into every spit and cough of every American's lives without any member of the American public knowing about it. That's not freedom, is it? In 2008, they eliminated the warrant requirement for all conversations except ones that take place by and among Americans exclusively on American soil. So they don't need warrants now for people who are foreigners outside of the U.S., but they also don't need warrants for Americans who are in the United States communicating with people reasonably believed to be outside of the U.S. So again, the fact that there are no checks, no oversight about who's looking over the NSA's shoulder means that they can take whatever they want. And the fact that it's all behind a wall of secrecy and they threaten people who want to expose it means that whatever they're doing, even violating the law, is something that we're unlikely to know until we start having real investigations and real transparency into what it is that the government is doing. Glenn Greenwald, congratulations again on exposing what is a true scandal. I appreciate you joining me. I just uh, heard from Lindsay, and uh, she's still alive, which is good uh, and, and free. My rent checks apparently are no longer getting through to my landlord, uh, so they said if we don't pay them in five days, we'll be evicted, which is strange because I've got a system set up that automatically pays them. Uh, so there's that, and apparently there's construction trucks all over the street of my house. So that's, uh, I wonder what they're looking for. <laughs> it is, uh, it is 
an unusual feeling that's kind of hard to hard to like describe or, or convey in words, but not knowing what's going to happen the next day, the next hour, the next week. Uh, it's scary, but at the same time it's liberating. You know, the, uh, the planning comes a lot easier because you don't have that many variables to take into play. You can only act and then act again. Now all these phone calls are being recorded digitally, not for content, but for origin and destination. Now word the government is going right into the servers of these large internet companies. How does the government, politically speaking, make the argument that this is essential to national security and not a dramatic overreach in terms of personal privacy? It's difficult, Matt, because as Peter was pointing out overnight, we had an extraordinary late night, close to midnight, announcement and a declassification from the Director of National Intelligence. They are scrambling. The administration is already supported strongly by leaders in both parties from the intelligence committees. GCHQ has an internal Wikipedia uh, at the top secret, you know, super classified level, yeah. uh, where anybody working in intelligence can work on anything they want. Yep. That's what this is. I'm giving it to you. You can make the decisions on that, what's appropriate, what's not. Um, it's going to be documents of you know, different types, pictures and PowerPoints and Word documents, stuff like that. When do you think you'll go public? Or... Uh, I, th I think it's pretty soon. I mean, with the reaction, this escalated more quickly. I think pretty much as soon as they start trying to make this uh, about me, which should be any day now, yeah. um, I'll, I'll come out just to go, hey, you know, this is... Uh, this is not a question of somebody skulking around in the shadows. Yeah. These are public issues. These are not my issues. You know, these are everybody's issues. And I'm not afraid of you. You know, you're not going to bully me into silence like you've done to everybody else. Uh, and if nobody else is going to do it, I will. And hopefully when I'm gone, whatever you do to me, there will be somebody else who will do the same thing. It'll be the sort of internet principle of the hydra. You know, you can stomp one person, but there's going to be seven more of us. Yeah. Let's talk about the issue with when we're going to say who you are. Yeah. I, this is, you know, you have to talk me through this because mm -hmm. I have a big worry about this. Okay, tell me. Which is that if we come out and I know that you believe that your detection is inevitable uh -huh. and that it's inevitable imminently. There's, you know, in the New York Times today, Charlie Savage, the fascinating Sherlock Holmes of, of political reporting, deduced that the fact that there's been these leaks in succession probably means that there's some one person who's decided to leak somebody a bunch of stuff. Somebody else quoted you as saying it was one of your readers and yeah. some, somebody else who put another yeah, thing. So, so yeah. you know, we're, we're, I mean, it's fine. I want people to, I want it, I want it to be, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like this is a person, I want to start introducing the concept that this is a person who has a particular set of political objectives about informing the world about what's taking place like you know I, so mm -hmm. I'm keeping it all anonymous totally but I want to start introducing you in that kind of incremental way but here here's the thing what I'm concerned about is that if we come out and say here's who this is here's what he did the whole thing that we talked about that we're gonna basically be doing the government's work for them and we're gonna basically be handing them you know a confession um, and helping them identify who found it. I mean, maybe you're right. Maybe they'll maybe they'll find out quickly, and maybe they'll know. But is there any possibility that they won't? Are we are we kind of giving them stuff that we don't? Or 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 possibly that they know, but they don't want to reveal it because they don't know. Or that they don't know, and we're going to be telling them. Like, is it a possibility that they're going to need like two three months of uncertainty, and we're going to be solving that problem for them? Or let me just say the or part. Maybe it doesn't matter to you. Like maybe you want it. Maybe maybe you, I mean you're not coming out because 
you think inevitably they're going to catch you and you want to do it first, you're coming out because you want to come out and you well, want there, to be there heard. There is that. I mean, that's the thing. I, I don't want to hide on this and skulk around. I don't think I should have to. Um, obviously, there's circumstances that are saying that. And I, I think it is powerful to come out and be like, look, I'm not afraid, you know, and I don't think other people should either. You know, I was sitting in the office right next to you last week. You know, we all have a stake in this. This is our country. And the balance of power between the citizenry and the government is becoming that of the, the ruling and the ruled as opposed to actually, you know, the elected and the electorate. Okay, so that's what I need to hear, that this is not about... But I, I do want to say... I don't think there's a case that I'm not going to be discovered in the fullness of time. It's a question of time frame. You're right. It could take them a long time. I don't think it will. But I, I didn't try to hide the footprint because, again, I intended to come forward the okay. whole time. I'm going to post this morning just a general defense of whistleblowers. That's fine. Yeah. And you in particular without saying anything about you. I'm going to go post that right when I get back. And I'm, and I'm also doing like a big few to all the people who keep like talking about investigations. Like yeah. that, I, I want that to be yeah. like, like the fearlessness and yeah. the, to like the bullying tactics has got to be completely pervading and, everything we do. And I think that's brilliant. I, I mean, your principles on this, I love. I can't support them enough um, because it, it is, it's inverting the model that the government has laid out where people who are trying to you know, say the truth skulk around and they hide in the dark and they quote anonymously and I say, yes, that. Okay. Let's so, just, so, so, so here's the plan then. I mean, and this is the thing. It's like once you, like, I think we all just felt that this is the right way to do it. Mm -hmm. It's the, you feel the power of, mm -hmm. the, of your choice. You know what I mean? It's like, mm -hmm. and I want that power to be felt in the world. Okay. And it is the, I mean, it's the ultimate standing up to them, right? Like, yeah. I'm not going to hide even for like one second. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to get right in your face. Yeah. You don't have to investigate. <laughs> There's nothing to investigate. Here I am. Yeah. You know, and and I think that it's just incredibly powerful. And then the question just becomes, how do we do this in the right, you know, the perfect way? Yeah. And that's my burden and that's what I'm going to... So today is going to be the story in the morning, assuming that this doesn't change on the Guardian event. It's going to be the story in the morning just to keep the momentum going, just mm -hmm. to keep, like, the disclosures coming. A big one at night. Now it's becoming like, mm -hmm. okay, this is a major leak. Mm -hmm. And after today, when we pose the two stuff things that we're going to pose, it's going to be... What is this league and who did it? I mm -hmm. guarantee you. Mr. Snowden has been charged with very serious crimes and he should be returned to the United States where he will be granted full due process and uh, every right available to him as a United States citizen uh, facing our justice system under the Constitution. I don't think Mr. Snowden was a patriot. I called for a thorough review of our surveillance operations before Mr. Snowden made these leaks. My preference, and I think the American people's preference, would have been for a lawful, orderly examination of these laws, a uh, thoughtful, fact-based debate, uh, that would then lead us to a better place. Laura, I will answer what I remember of your questions as best I can 
Forgive the lack of structure. I am not a writer, and I have to draft this in a great hurry. What you know as Stellar Wind has grown. SSO, the expanded special source operations that took over Stellar Wind's share of the pie, has spread all over the world to practically include comprehensive coverage of the United States. Disturbingly, the amount of U.S. communication ingested by NSA is still increasing. Publicly, we complain that things are going dark, but in fact, our accesses are improving. The truth is that the NSA has never in its history collected more than it does now. I know the location of most domestic interception points and that the largest telecommunication companies in the U.S. are betraying the trust of their customers, which I can prove. We are building the greatest weapon for oppression in the history of man, yet its directors exempt themselves from accountability. NSA Director Keith Alexander lied to Congress, which I can prove. Billions of U.S. communications are being intercepted. In gathering evidence of wrongdoing, I focused on the wronging of the American people. But believe me when I say that the surveillance we live under is the highest privilege compared to how we treat the rest of the world. This I can also prove. On cyber operations, the government's public position is that we still lack a policy framework. This too is a lie. There is a detailed policy framework, a kind of martial law for cyber operations created by the White House. It's called Presidential Policy Directive 20 and was finalized at the end of last year. This I can also prove. And that wraps it up for another episode of Flashpoints. Our executive producer is Dennis Bernstein. Senior producers are Miguel Gavilan Molina and Kevin Pina. Technical director is Mike Biggs. For previous episodes, go to kpfa.org or flashpoints.net. For questions or comments, email dennis at kpfa.org. Thank you for listening.